They're speakers, authors, and real-life rock stars, bringing you life-changing thoughts that rock. Taking conversation all the way to 11. Most shows only go to 10. Well, it's one louder, isn't it? These go to 11. To 11. This is Thoughts That Rock. Now, here are your hosts, Jim Knight and Brant Menswar. Highway run into the midnight sun. Wheels go round and round. You're on my mind. Waka waka, restless hearts. Here we sleep alone tonight. Ah, sending out my love. I'm sending all my love along the wire. Hey, you know what they say? What? They say that the road, it ain't no place to start a family. (laughs) (laughs) I think I shot an aneurysm. (laughs) Nothing but Muppets today. I cannot get my voice good. I pulled something. And it was in the groin Your area. Your larynx. Uh, listen, welcome everybody. Thank you so much for joining us on Thoughts That Rock. If we don't amuse ourselves, we don't get amused. So we have to do that. We are the podcast that shares life-changing pieces of advice, and we try to squeeze it into just about 20 minutes or so. We say that the edutainment is really for us, Brand. Yeah, well, at the end of the day. There's some education for someone, but the entertainment value is purely right here. If we're not happy... No one's happy. Exactly. And that's how it works. So I think most people uh, that know us personally know that we also do some stuff together from an instructional design standpoint. Yeah. We have something called Certified Rockstar. What is Certified Rockstar? Well, Certified Rockstar is either half-day, full-day, or multi-day training where we sort of take people through... Uh, an entire leadership development process. And uh, it goes from sort of internal, what does it take to be a great leader to external? How do you provide rockstar service to your clients? How do you create a culture that rocks? And it's sort of from, from A to Z, right? From alpha to omega. Exactly. And we used to say all the time on our show, you know, I think a lot of people know that we're professional speakers. We're both represented exclusively by Kepler speakers, but Mm -hmm. there's a time when we get together to do a certified rockstar and we love doing it. It just gives us an excuse to hang out and, again, provide some edutainment for some people. Thoughts That Rock helps support Cannonball Kids Cancer and their fight for finding treatment options for kids who've run out of options. Uh, we absolutely love everything they do. We would love for you to check them out. Could you go to cannonballkidscancer.org and see how you can get involved? Yeah, help us support them. Listen, we know how busy you are. You've got a lot of things mm-hmm. going on. I bet you life is coming at you at about 100 miles an hour. At least that's what it feels like. Yep. And just trying to step away and get a nugget of wisdom to make mm-hmm. your life better are probably just super hard to come by. Mm-hmm. But you know, it doesn't really matter what you're doing right now. You could be, let's say, stocking the salad bar at Steak and Ale. That looks good. Or maybe you're dusting shelves at Blockbuster Video. (laughs) Or you're fielding customer service calls at Circuit City. It's your fault. Oh, wait a second. I'm, I'm stuck in the 80s. None of those businesses exist. I'm so sorry. This is an old script. Listen, it doesn't really matter what you're doing. We're about to give you the 20 minutes that you've been waiting for all week. Let's do this. Let's rock. Rock on. Our guest today, we are so excited. It is David Meerman Scott, who is an internationally acclaimed business strategist, an entrepreneur, advisor to emerging companies, public speaker, but uh, honestly, a best-selling author uh, that many of us know through his book, The New Rules of Marketing PR. David, welcome to Thoughts That Rock. Thanks. It's so awesome to be here, Jim and Brent. Thanks for having me on. I love that we're going to be talking about rock. Yeah, we are. A little bit here. Yeah, we are. <laughs> well, this is uh, honestly, it's, it's a true honor to have you. You are an aficionado of live events. This is a man who has been to, as of this morning, 791 live music Hoofa. events. Starting back in 1975 with Aerosmith as his first concert, which is, you know, as a, as a that's a pretty good uh, as a New England boy growing up just outside of Boston, I truly can appreciate it. And then, of course, he just told us before we get on his second 
concert was the Ramones at his high school, which I got to tell you, my high school was not bringing in the Ramones <laughs> to play. <laughs> we were getting the middle school band that is murdering trombones and tubas, and you get the Ramones. How did that happen? Um, well, we the school would put on rock shows every couple of uh, months, and normally it was just sort of a cover band kind of thing, but the Ramones played for $100 at New Canaan High School uh, about two weeks before their very first album came out, and I was sitting in the front row. It was uh, fabulous. Gosh, that's crazy. Well, there's two things. Uh, well, actually, probably two things that, that Big Kettle Drum has, has shared with the Ramones. One, we have played many high schools. <laughs> and number two, we still get paid $100. So it's perfect. It's amazing. There you go. It's nice. amazing. Nice. Amazing. Nice. Well, David is a best-selling author. Again, if you haven't, uh, he's written 10 books. Um, so, so I'm sure you've maybe had a chance to read at least one of them. But uh, the new rules of marketing PR really... Uh, exploded onto the scene, and he's followed it up with many books, Marketing Lessons from the Grateful Dead, uh, The New Rules of Sales and Service. And in January, he's got his brand new book that comes out called Fanocracy, Turning Fans into Customers and Customers into Fans, love which uh, we love in and of itself. But the fact that you wrote it with your daughter um, is just amazing. Reiko, it's, can you tell us a little bit about how that process worked right away here? Oh, it was it was so much fun. It was so great and so important for the book. Um, when I started thinking about this book five years ago, thinking about the idea of fandom, I, I started quizzing her. I kept asking her questions. You know, she's a massive Harry Potter fan, uh, and I kept asking her, "Well, what would a millennial think about this? What, 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 what does this sound like to you?" And then finally, I don't be an idiot. I said to myself, <laughs> I invited her to to join me. Join me in writing the book and so like her harry potter fandom for example it equals my 791 live music shows fandom she's read every book multiple times seen every movie multiple times gone to orlando multiple times in the wizarding world of harry potter gone to the uk to go to the the um, studio where they filmed the movies and wrote a 90,000 word alternative ending to the Harry Potter series where Draco Malfoy is a spy for the Order of the Phoenix and wow. put that on a fan fiction site. Um, and it's been downloaded um, tens of thousands of times and been commented on hundreds of times. Wow. So she's a millennial mixed race Harry Potter fan neuroscientist and I'm a middle-aged rock and roll white guy. <laughs> so, so the fact that we wrote together, it's just a wonderful combination. That that is amazing, and uh, we can't wait for this book to come out. Uh, super super excited to read it. And today we're going to talk a little bit a, a little bit different. You know how we do things here on Thoughts That Rock. We like to sort of jump right to those nuggets of wisdom that our guests share. So, the floor is yours, David. What is your thought that rocks? Thoughts that rock number one. My thought that rocks is celebrate being fired. Okay. <laughs> I love I love this. Tell, tell us where, where is this from personal experience? <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I've been I've been fired 3 times. And um and each time was gut-wrenching because I felt like I'm I wasn't needed and oh my gosh, how am I going to how am I going to feed myself and, uh, and what am I going to do next? And no one loves me. And it was terrible. But each time I had an opportunity to rethink and end up doing something that was even better. And the last time I got fired was in 2002 and I had been working uh, for a company called News Edge that was acquired by Thomson Reuters and the bosses at Thomson Reuters, um, sort of had me, working as a vice president of marketing of the division that was that they acquired for oh probably three or four months and then they decided that i i wasn't going to be worthy of their esteemed hmm. institution and they kicked me out and it was the best thing that ever happened because that was when i started doing my own thing that's when i started writing books that's when i started to give speeches that's when i started to to really um figure out that i've got a lot more to share with the world on my own than we 
working as uh, in a corporation as a as a marketing guy, and um, so now I like to say I've been happily unemployed for seventeen years. <laughs> um, but it really, I think, so many people when they get fired. They think of it as almost like almost like a death in the family, but I think I think it's something to be celebrated because yeah. you can go on and do something even better. Yeah. H- have you ever been fired, Brant? Uh, I have. I've not. I've, I, I honestly, I've never been fired. I've, you know, I've only stayed with companies that I've liked. I spent you know three years with uh, with Olive Garden. I've talked about this on the show before. I was uh, multiple years at a theme park, six years as a school teacher, and then the big you know the twenty one years at Hard Rock, but. I can honestly say I've been very lucky that I haven't been fired, but I think maybe David, to your point, you know, I've never stated a job that I didn't like. In one case, I was only there for one day and I just sort of walked off the job and said, nope, I'm not going to spend my time on that. I only want to do things that I actually really liked, but still, even in, in people that might be listening, there's still something that can be taught about going through those experiences, right? I mean, each one of those firings, like you said, it's, it's provided you direction in your life, right? It has. Each, each time it exploded my world, and by exploding my world, what it did was it gave me an opportunity to rethink what I want to do next. And um, for whatever reason, I didn't rethink what I want to do next while I was gainfully employed. Um, maybe I should have, but that, that's not really my personality. You know, I stick. I stick with. Tend to stick with things, and and so it was a really all three all three times uh ended up being fabulous yeah that's right yeah i think it's well i think we've touched on a couple of things here is that first off when you're in the middle of a job many i feel like you're right many of us never think about what's next we just sort of live in the present and and this is how i'm gonna you know put food on my table this week um but we're never really thinking about maybe what we could or should be doing um I, I think, Jim, you were fortunate to be in a place that, that aligned with your values mm-hmm. and what you wanted to accomplish, and they were supportive of those things, and they provided an opportunity of growth, and you took that, and, and that's amazing. But, you know, I think that we're in a different time these days. You know, for me, uh, you know, when I first got out of college, I had no idea what I wanted to do. Um, what I wanted to do was play baseball, and, and I got hurt, so I couldn't do that. So now I'm trying to figure out as a as a 21 year old who just graduated going well now what because mm-hmm. I, I don't want to be a fireman and i don't want to be an architect mm-hmm. and uh i just went through four <laughs> years with a communications degree which basically is equal to i don't know what i want to do with my life psychology <laughs> degree, so. <laughs> and so it's like you know i i had to sit there and fortunately my wife had a good stable job and was making money um but for those that don't have a secondary income, don't have a spouse or a significant other that is making um, some income to help share the burden, uh, I think a lot of us get trapped that we can't think about what comes next. That when we when we get fired, it is panic mode because most, I, I believe at least the last the last sort of um, information that I've seen is that there is a in an enormous percentage of people who live paycheck to paycheck. And when that's the case, when you get fired, um, you're not thinking about what, Oh, what a blessing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Oh, let me ponder the ways of which I shall Mm -hmm. continue my career. It's Oh shit. Mm -hmm. Um, back to ramen noodles until I figure something out because no one's got any savings. No one has anything to, to really prepare for. So how did you sort of get yourself in the mindset to celebrate being fired? Well, fortunately, um, I've always managed to spend less than I make, even when I was making almost nothing. Um, I remember my first job, I made $12,000 a year, and I still managed to save $1,000. So I, I had enough of a cushion each time to be able, for the near term, yeah. not, not for a year, but right. for the near term, to be able to to eat and pay the rent and whatever I needed to do, um, so I was lucky in that way. Um, and I think that um, you know now upon reflection, I did I, while I was employed, I was thinking about the future and what I might do next. But it was always in the context of the company I was working for. You know, so so I think when we're employed, we do think of the future, but the future is like, oh, I can't wait till I make, you know, manager, or I can't oh, wait yeah. till I make director, or I can't wait till well until 
until I have an opportunity to have people reporting to me, you know, and because uh, and, I worked in the corporate world. So those were those are the sorts of things that I looked for. Yeah. But then when, when the world gets blown up, it's like, oh, well, <laughs> I'm not just thinking about what my promotion is going to be. I'm thinking about what the heck I'm going to do next. Um, uh, but but I was I was I was fortunate enough to be planning ahead um, and had a financial cushion enough to be able to, at least near term, um, be able to pick myself up and figure out what was next. Yeah, it's almost some of the uh, words of the wise to to really work a budget, spend you know, get, get yourself a little bit of savings so that you have some breathing room um, when these things happen. So that you know, I feel like most people just go into fight or flight and 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 it's a panic mode and. You know, I, I literally, when I heard you say, you know, sort of the near term deal in my head, I wish we could play that, that Sesame Street uh, clip of Grover going near far and showing, showing people to keep, <laughs> consider, let's stay near, let's stay near, let's not go far because we start worrying about things that are, you know, three months, six months, a year, five years down the road. We're not thinking about today or tomorrow. And I think when we can refocus ourselves in that short term, um, at least it becomes manageable. And, and then it's just a choice, right? I'm like, it's a choice. Do you, do you allow yourself to get caught up in all the uncertainty, uh, that comes with getting fired? Or do you, do you look at this as, as an opportunity to sort of stop for a second that you haven't been able to look anywhere else or consider anything else and say, is there something else that I should or could be doing, uh, that I'm not doing now? And in my case, I, I did exactly that. Um, the first time that I lost my job, I was working for a, a money broker on Wall Street, and I did not like the work at all. I, I just didn't like it. Mm-hmm. So it, that was great because that gave me an opportunity to do something else. And I was really young at the time. I think I was 24. Uh, and then that led to me taking a job um, in an economic consulting company as a salesperson. Um, and that was really cool. And and then the next time um, that I lost my job, I was living in um, Hong Kong, of all places. Um, and I'd been in Asia for, I think, nine years at that point. I lived in Tokyo for seven years and Hong Kong for two years. And I was working for um, a uh, financial information company and they said, sorry, you're no longer employed here. And that was amazingly fortunate because I said to, I was married, I got married at that point. I said to my wife, you know what? I think we should leave Hong Kong. Let's move back to the States. Mm-hmm. Um, and she, she's, my wife is Japanese and, and for her, it wasn't going back to the States. Right. And she said, yeah, that sounds great. You know, we lived, we lived in Japan for her country for six years together. And then we lived in Hong Kong, a neutral country for two years. And well, why not try my country? And had I not lost my job, I, I may still may have still been in Asia now. Mm. Um, but we moved back, and then I worked for six years at, at this company that was then acquired by Thomson Reuters, and that led to me starting my own business. So in each case that I that I lost my job, I didn't just take a similar job at another company. I did something utterly different, including moving continents. Um, and so for, for me, each case, it was, let's figure out what the radical move is as opposed to the, the sort of, oh, let's knock on the door down the street and just get a, another similar job. I think it goes back to, you know, Brant, you were saying before, I think at the moment, maybe when it ultimately happens to you, you know, there's a freak out, you know, that, that stimulus elicits the immediate response of, oh, crap, you yeah. know, now what? But I think with that mentality that you have is it, it could be a clean sweep. You know, it's a, it's a new slate. Um, you know, you look at it as a new beginning. Instead of things happening to you, they happen for you as part of your your long and wide Ooh, road. That's a, to- that's a Tony Robbins quote. It, 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 it could be. It sounds like it would be something <laughs> I would say, but you can, you can give it to Tony if you want. Um, <laughs> I've, heard, I've heard Tony. I speak, I speak at all of Tony Robbins' business mastery events, so I've heard him say that 15 different times. He loves to say that. Yeah, Tony and I say that. Maybe he, maybe he heard it. Maybe he heard it. Maybe he heard it from you first. Right, maybe. Well, we'll see. We'll have to go back in time. I, I don't know. If, how, old, how old is Tony Robbins? I don't know. Uh, he would be 50s? 
All right, I probably 59. stole it from him. Then. That's right. But, you know, it reminds me of, uh, <laughs> I, I had a guy when I was at Hard Rock who ran training. I've talked about uh, Mike Shipley, great friend of mine who was my mentor. But, you know, he basically worked himself out of a job, and he freely admits this. Uh, but what it did is it, it, it propelled him to open up a small, tiny little 10-room hotel in the Florida Keys, which was sort of his and his wife's life dream. And all it did was accelerate the opportunity for them to do that and they're in the process of selling the hotel and they'll probably make five six times as much as what they bought it for and that's that's how they wanted to retire so you know for him awesome. he looked at that's it awesome. as a great yeah. you know as a, as a great opportunity but it's kind of full circle here i was just thinking about it when you were talking about this earlier our very first guest that we ever had on the show was angela robb who runs leader cast and you know, her basic idea was she thought she was getting promoted. She was called into the office, thought she was crushing it, and instead they had taken her job away from her. You talk about a no shit moment. That right. was a, you know, that was even worse. Yeah. You know, where she was doing all the planning of here's what here's what my life's about to look like, and yeah. then it's a complete hundred and eighty degrees. So, you know, I think right. to your point, Brent, right, right, right. It, it could go in any direction, whether you, you think you're doing great or, you know, you need the thing to, to sort of put you in a different trajectory. You know, if you really take on that mindset of just celebrate it, to celebrate it as a moment and do a little bit of recentering and see which direction you need to go. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Celebrate it. And because what's the alternative? You can't change that. Right. You can't beg you can't beg for your job back it's not going to happen right. it's it 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 has happened and the alternative is to um to throw yourself a funeral yeah. or celebrate it and and i think celebrate it is just a, a way better way to look at it and yeah it's tough of course um i didn't like it in the initial in in the initial weeks and and months after I lost my job and it, each time it, it took a little bit of time to figure out what I was going to do next, mm -hmm. but it was always way better. Yeah. Well, this is perfect. Cause I think the thought that we have is also going to, I, I think really be the next stepping stone. It, it probably corresponds really well with yours and Brant, what did we decide on our thought this week? Thoughts that rock number two. Well, our thought that rocks this week comes from Lou Gehrig, the famous, famous baseball player that we won't mention the team he played for. Uh, and his, <laughs> as a lifelong Red Sox fan, those are words that are not spoken on this podcast. Uh, our, our thought uh, that we're going to share is this. I love to win, but I love to lose almost as much. I love the thrill of victory. And I also love the challenge of defeat. And, you know, when we sort of looked at this to, to, to match up with what you were sharing, we thought that it was a, a sort of a nice continuation of what you have been discussing thus far uh, with this mindset of being able to celebrate when uh, you, you have this obstacle place in front of you. And I, and I think that what Lou Gehrig was saying here is, yeah, it's great to win, um, but sometimes we don't learn uh, uh, the, the, the massive lessons that we need to learn for the rest of our lives if we're constantly winning. Um, and uh, when we lose, we really have an opportunity to, to quantify uh, and, and course correct. And that's sort of what I, I think I, I had written down here is just listening uh, to what you were saying earlier, David, is, is when you are faced with this uh, unexpected moment where you get fired, it's really a chance to course correct. And, and the best jobs I've ever had in my life is uh, are ones where my the, whoever I was working for would always give us an opportunity, whatever project we were working on, whatever we were trying to get done, to take a look at where we were going and course correct if we needed to. It was like a moment to say, are we headed in the direction that we know we sort of set forth, here's our goal, here's the direction we want to go. Um, can we slow down for just a minute to see if that's still the direction we're headed? And if the answer is no, can we course correct to get back to where we want to be? And that ultimately getting fired is the ultimate course correct. Mm -hmm. Would you agree with that? Oh, yeah, I think so. Uh, absolutely. And, and you know, we, we don't have that many opportunities in this short and interesting life that we are given to be able to do that. And so, you know, you, 
I'm, I'm, I, I am now kind of at the point where I've decided I've, I'm now in the last third of my life. The first third of my life, I consider the learning phase. The second third of my life, I consider my accumulation phase. And this stage in my life, I can, I consider my giving back phase. Mm. Um, this final, final third. And I just can't believe that I'm in the final third of my life. We talked about the Ramones at my high school when I was 15 years old. It feels like yesterday that the Ramones were at my high school when I was, when I was 15 years old. All the Ramones are dead now. <laughs> and I'm looking back at and, and considering that I've only got one third of my life left in front of me. So these opportunities to course correct don't come up that often. Yeah. Um, when you think about it in a, in a, in a lifetime and what, what better way to, to think about where you're going to go than, than celebrate it as a course correction. I I have to tell you just the way that you just quantified sort of your life in thirds and, and this, this last third, an opportunity to give back. I, I, it's, it's such an enormous, uh, thought for me, um, it, I think it out trumps your your first thought uh, because uh, I feel like in the accumulation phase where most of us are, uh, you know, we're gathering, 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 uh, storing our nuts for winter, if you will, and uh, here we are now with a chance to sh- to share and give back, not just the money we've accumulated uh, uh, or the influence we've accumulated, but really a chance to 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 pass along the knowledge, you know, the 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 breakdown of the three generational family in this country um, has really hindered our ability to pass things down to that next generation and and it has to take deliberate intention to make a, a, a conscious decision to say this last third of my life I'm going to give back I am going to start to share those things whether it's knowledge I've accumulated or skills that I have learned along the way I mean there's a crisis in the trades world uh, a, a trade craft of people who can't do the work that people have been doing for 50 years mm-hmm. with their hands because computers have taken over AI is about to take over and now we're like well there's only two guys on the planet who can run this machine and if they're both sick that day we're not running the machine mm-hmm. um, and and it's a scary moment to be but but what an incredible thought to sort of say first of all to have the realization that you're in the last third of your life because the whole mortality thing it, it, i think scares the shit out of uh, out of many many of us and we don't want to acknowledge that, that oh, yeah. that's the fact right but to be able to make that decision to say i'm really going to give i'm going to give back that's what this third is about is giving back i think is what the world needs right now uh desperately so thank you for that Oh, my, my pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for, for commenting on it because I've been thinking a lot about it recently. Um, and I, I just doubled down on this fabulous organization I'm involved with called Geoversity. Um, I'm a part owner. I'm a board member. We own 12,000 acres in Panama of rainforest. Um, and it's in one of the most endangered parts of the world because it's being um, turned into um, cattle ranching. And this is in the narrowest point between North America and South America and the narrowest point between the Atlantic and the Pacific Ocean. So it's fabulously important for Mm. animal and bird migration and other uh, climate-related things. And, you know, the whole climate crisis that we're facing, um, this form of giving back, um, spending a crap load of money to help buy this 12,000 acres and preserving it and um, having the opportunity for people to visit it um, has been really important to me, especially because, and you, you, you will both appreciate this because we all get on airplanes all the time. And I looked at my carbon footprint of, of the, all of the airplane travel I do, and it's an enormous carbon footprint. And yeah. so... I needed to figure out how I could give back and by investing some of the money I've accumulated in preserving 12,000 acres in one of the most important places in the world, I've actually offset all of the carbon that I've burned in my That's entire so cool. lifetime and and, awesome. and the rest and the, the rest of my lifetime uh, as well as my entire f- extended family. Um, and so 
for me, that form of giving back is important, as well as the ones you cited of giving back my knowledge, giving back my time, giving back my money um, in one way or another, but also giving back to the planet that I've been living on for the last um, nearly 60 years. I love this. I love it. I mean, when you start talking not just about music, but about philanthropy, you know, we always perk up on the show. That's always a big deal. And our, our show is actually, you know, we, we focus on a philanthropic specific group that's around childhood cancer. And so you talk yes, about things I like know, this. Yeah, it's great. Well, and, and the things that you do are fantastic. And, and I'm glad that you're talking about it because you really bummed me out when you told me that the Ramones were all dead. I, yeah. I checked <laughs> out for a couple seconds yeah. with a lump in my throat going, yeah. Holy crap! That's that you know that that is a, a huge a huge change. You know, I I think um, you know it's funny when you were sharing your thought, David, and you talk about celebrate being fired. I think you can still appreciate, like I was saying, even though I hadn't been fired, I do know, you know, the the jobs that I've loved and the jobs that I haven't liked, where I'm going to spend my time and my energy, and everybody can go through this. I think probably a lot of people have gone through losing their jobs, but in this particular quote, which is really just sort of another step onto yours. I epitomize this quote. I mean, I, I love this one a lot. And, you know, I haven't, I haven't really talked a lot about that in my personal life, but, you know, I relish actually losing. I relish losing mm. whenever I'm playing, let's say chess or tennis. I actually prefer that the opponent is better than I am. I want to lose because I just think, you know, it keeps you humble. It keeps you grounded. You, continue to push to get better. And it sort of goes back to the celebrate being fired. You can look at it as sort of this positive spin if you want to. And it's funny. Cause I think when we were, when we were selecting this thought, I was brand, I was actually surprised that you like and agreed to this quote because the Uber winner in you, yeah. I, I would not think you'd want to talk about losing at all. It's just, it's more yeah. fun obviously to be a part of a winning team and a winning business. But I was shocked when you picked it. I'm going, yeah, you're speaking my language. I've got yeah. to believe in your head. You're like, <laughs> nope, this isn't fun for me. But Luke no. Garrick likes it. Yeah, <laughs> I friggin' hate losing more than anything on the planet. Uh, it, it, it's it's an obsession, you know. In my for so here here is my thing. I, I grew up. Uh, if, if I couldn't win the game, I did not play the game. That that was my wow. that was my mm -hmm. philosophy. I was not. I would you would wow. not you would not get me to play a game that I did not feel confident that I could win, um, and wow. and the games that I did play, I won over and over and over again. And not only did I win, I made sure everybody around me knew that I won, mm -hmm. <laughs> and, then, and I was able to. You know, trash talking became a, a skill level that I'm teaching now to my <laughs> nieces. Um, uh, I felt a little bad because I went outside, uh, <laughs> I went outside last Thanksgiving with my, you know, uh, young nieces that are in the, you know, seven to, to at the time they were in the seven to nine years, years old. And, uh, they are both learning to play basketball for the first time. And I'm out in the driveway mm. with them and we are playing basketball and, uh, and, <laughs> And uh, she goes to take a shot, and I and I feel. I was going to say I, I don't want to say I feel bad. I swatted the ball into the neighbor's yard, and I said, nice. and nice. I I looked at her and I said, "Is it Thanksgiving? Because you just got stuffed." And and oh she and she looked at me and was like, you know, didn't quite know how to react because I wasn't smiling. <laughs> And that's so funny. In, in the, the, You're like make, making nine year old girls cry. Yeah. Well, you know, you have to teach them life lessons, and Uncle Brant's going to teach them how to win. <laughs> and so, so it, it wouldn't, you know, I had a good time with it, and we had a good, I, I would, you know, did somebody call the SWAT team? Is there, I mean, I had them all because every time they went to shoot, I was just knocking the ball. And so uh, that was all fun. And, that was all fun in games until their first. <laughs> Until their first school basketball game. And they were using the same <laughs> when lines. When they are out trash talking the fellow seven-year-olds, asking them if it's Thanksgiving. Oh, awesome. Um, but not That's using so it awesome. in the right way. Yes. <laughs> Just walking around nice. asking people if it's Thanksgiving because they missed a shot. Um, but nice. For, nice. For me, it became a, uh, you know, I, I looked at this quote and I've had to appreciate uh, over the course of my life what losing provides because if I was given a choice, I'm not choosing losing ever. And so, um, I've re it's, it's, it's heavy lifting. It's heavy list lifting to, to be able to, to look at it and not just rage monster out when you lose, whether it's chess or, or for me, it was, it was baseball. Um, you know, I, 
I, I loved the feeling of being able to dominate a game, um, pitching on the mound and, and honestly, it's what got me into speaking because it's the, the only place I've been able to sort of recreate the power that I felt standing on a mound facing, you know, a, a, a batter or a team of any kind is standing on a stage in front of a thousand people mm -hmm. and, and, and feeling like the ball is in my hand. It's my, the game is mine and to yeah, win or lose. Right. <laughs> and you own it and you own it and, That's right. and you own it and you can, and you can be thinking about how you can get those people to, um, to have an emotional moment with you. It's, right. it's like, there's no better in my world, like, cause I'm not an athlete, not a musician. Um, there's no better place than on that stage. And, you know, I had an I had, a, I, I'm now working on the new speech, around the book, my new book, Fanocracy, and bringing a bunch of cool fandom ideas into it. And I've, I think I've done about a dozen uh, of those talks so far. And I'm, so I'm still working through the things I'm doing. And I'm so used to getting, you know, great reviews and being rated the top speaker and all that. I mean, I'm, that's what I'm used to. But um, I got some feedback from a speech I delivered last month and some of it was negative, and I'm like, "Oh crap, this is awful." <laughs> but then, but then, but then I real, I, you know, because the the winner in me is like, I want to be yeah. rated the best speaker. I don't want to be the number four speaker or whatever it was. And, and and but there was actual actual feedback where people wrote down some things, and so uh, and at first it was like, "Oh my." God, how could they yeah. think that? That's not true. Right. <laughs> but of let course the idiots it's true. Cause yes. they, yeah, yeah, right. I mean, what is that? What was that person? Was that person smoking dope before they came into the room? I mean, what's going on? And, and but, but, but that was fabulous. That was way more valuable to have three people leave, leave negative feedback and the you know written feedback way more valuable than having a yeah. hundred different speeches where everyone said I was wonderful because yeah. I was able to course correct on that That's and right. I actually reached I reached out to a good friend of mine Vern Harnish who's um, really good at this stuff and and he he gave me a really interesting way to look at how to fix the problems that were identified and the next speech I delivered which was a couple weeks later so it was actually two weeks ago. Um, I, I corrected it and there was no negative feedback. So that was really valuable because if mm -hmm. that hadn't happened, I could have delivered a whole year of speeches with a flaw in the speech. Yeah. You're celebrating, uh, the negative feedback. Yeah. Just like being, yeah, being fired. That's right. Yeah. yeah. And with the book Fanocracy, um, and I know you said you wrote that with Reiko, what, um, I would assume there's a lot of musicians in there, or at least you do a lot of band and brand analogies, which, you know, Brant and I do when we're on stage and in our writings as well. But since you mentioned a little bit about sports, you talked about her love of, um, you know, Harry Potter. You know, I'm a huge Star Trek fan. I, I would think when you're talking about fanocracy, there's probably a lot of different things than just music, even though that's that's really been your your fandom. You've, you've just traveled around the world looking for great music, right? I do. I love it. Yeah. And I've had some really ep epic shows. You know, I saw Led, Led Zeppelin at Madison Square Garden in 1977. What? I was the, I was the only person, I was only person known to have taken photographs at Bob Marley's last concert in 1980. I remember seeing um, that. That's awesome. Yeah. Those are ep epic, epic photographs that have been used in films and books. And, um, um, so I actually share some of these ideas from stage. And so what we recognized as we were write, researching and writing this book is that what most people think about fandom is entertainers and sports um, stars. Yeah. And, and, and that's true. Um, there is, fandom around entertainment and sports stars but the idea of cultivating fandom we learned can be something that any organization can do so in my talks i talk about the things that i love to do surfing live music and i love the apollo lunar program believe it or not i have a, I have a museum in my house um where I have artifacts that were flown to the surface of the moon on the Apollo missions. It's a kind of a crazy thing that I do. Um, but th those are my fandoms. And then, um, and then I share all of these different companies that have developed fans. And here's how I start my speech now, which is so much fun. I don't say good morning or a good afternoon. I don't thank the organizers. I walk onto the stage 
put my toes kind of to the edge of the stage, look at the audience, pause, and say, who loves to buy car insurance? <laughs> and and, and it, there's always dead silence and a couple of people laugh. And then, and then I say, no one loves to buy auto insurance. It's terrible. You have to spend money on something that you hate. And, and, and you never want to use the product because it means you crashed your car. <laughs> and I said, but, but, but McKeel Haggerty I spoke with, has, he told me that insurance sucks. Everyone hates insurance. And McKeel Haggerty is the CEO of an insurance company that sells auto insurance. And so I go through, and I, we interviewed him a bunch of times about how he how he builds fans. He, he said, everyone hates my business. So I had to build fans in order to do, do business differently. And so they've got a YouTube channel with a million subscribers. They have a driver's club with 650,000 members. Mm. Um, they have an, uh, a, a smartphone app that, that has tons of people who use it. Um, they go to car shows, a hun- over 100 car shows a year, and um, give edu- do educational seminars. And people love them. They have a massive uh, fandom built around cars, but they didn't, and what McKeel told me is, I didn't have to invent the car. I didn't have to invent the passion around the car. All I have to do is tap into it. So we've identified ways that organizations of all kinds can tap into existing passions, like McKeel Haggerty has done for people who love cars. They've become the fastest growing auto insurance company, I think, in the world, certainly in North America. They're at, they're growing tw- double-digit growth every year. They've been in business. They'll add 200,000 new customers this year. Um, and, we've ident- and we've identified you know, doctors and lawyers and dentists and enterprise software companies, um, technology companies, consumer product companies, um, all kinds of different people and organizations that have developed fans, much of it in the same way that a rock star or, uh, mm-hmm. or an author or an athlete has developed fans. And um, so it's become a fascinating, fascinating thing to study over the last five years. And we're, we're, we're thrilled to get these ideas out there into the market. Well, I love, I mean, I love what, so, you know, Haggerty for, for our, uh, the car nerds that are out there like me, Haggerty is the premier insurance company for, for insuring your classic car, right? Mm -hmm. If you've got a car that that you want to protect, it it is Haggerty. That's who you go to. And what I think is brilliant about what they've done is they've taken that thing that everybody hates and they've flipped it to say, don't you want to protect the one thing you love? Mm -hmm. (laughs) And it is, uh, you know, I, it's funny because most of us, if you're not a car person, your car is just a mode of transportation, Mm -hmm. right? It's not your baby. It's not, it's not the thing that you obsess over. It's not the thing that you build your schedule around because you want to hit this car show or that car show, or you want to be able to go and find your holy grail that you've been searching for your whole life, but he's been able to take that, um, that, that obsession with cars and say, yeah, I get it. I'm with you. And, and when you finally get it, don't you want to protect it? Look how mm-hmm. long it's taken you to actually acquire it. Now let's make sure that it stays in the, in the pristine condition that you've, that, that you've acquired it in, you know? And I, I think that, that that's, that's amazing what he's done. It's ama- It's absolutely amazing because so many companies, the natural tendency is to say we're the better, faster, cheaper alternative, and then just you know sell a commodity product. And 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 when you think about it, auto insurance, classic car auto insurance, yep. is a commodity product. You can buy it in multiple different places. Yep. And and McKeel Haggerty said, you know, people hate to buy insurance. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. one of those things you things you have to do in life where I don't want to spend two thousand dollars on this. Yeah. I, I don't want to spend this money. It makes me feel awful. Yeah. And then and then once you do have once you do own that product, that car insurance, the last thing you want to do is actually make use of it. Because <laughs> right. it means your car is That's crashed, right. right? That's right. Um and uh, about two, I have, a, I have a 1973 Land Rover, and uh, Haggerty insures it, and has since 19, since 2005. And I got my renewal notice a couple weeks ago. Um, I had to re-up my insurance, and I actually enjoyed sending in the payment <laughs> because I love. Because I did because yeah. I love what they do, and yeah. I love my car. Yep. 
And, you know, of course I'm going to, yeah, this is great. I'm happy to, I'm happy to send you this money. You guys are doing a great job. Yeah. And, and, and that's the sort of thing that so many companies don't think about. They don't think about treating customers right. They don't think about developing personal relationships. They don't think about the, what their product is from the, or services from the perspective of the consumers. And, um, and we just, as we we looked at all of these different organizations that have developed fans, what it kind of comes down to is an outward manifestation that that we identified uh, is it's a true human connection, a true personal connection yeah, yeah. that ident- identifies fandom, and then the out, outward manifestation is that people are eager to wear the logo yep. of that thing they love. Yep. So they're eager to wear the logo on a ball cap. They're eager to wear the logo on a T-shirt. They're eager to put a sticker on the back of their computer or put a sticker onto their bumper of the car. Or, or in some cases, they're even happy to tattoo, tattoo the it. logo onto their body. Yep. And, and you know, one of, the, one of the examples that's the most fascinating to me is... Did you know there's a U.S. government agency that has a massive fandom, so much so that there's, there's tens of millions of people who wear logo T-shirts and hats uh, around uh, the world. They've got over 50 million followers on Instagram, over 30 million followers on Twitter. They're a U.S. government agency with a massive fandom, and that would be NASA. Mm-hmm. And and so people say, oh, you know, people. When I tell people I'm researching fandom, I'm going to write a book about it. They're like, fandom. You know, I know you love the Grateful Dead, but what can you do with fandom? I come, no, man, this is everywhere. (laughs) There's a freaking there's a freaking U.S. government agency that has tens of millions of fans who are eager to wear their wear their logo on a T-shirt. So it's everywhere, and it's something all of us can achieve. It's actually the only reason. Reason in our people business. wear logos. The only reason people wear logo anything is because they want to be recognized. They're part of the tribe, you know, yeah. and, and they, yes. to your point, that relationship that gets created, you know, you build loyalty with that. And, and it'll take, it would, it would take, I think, Haggerty something dramatic for them to, to probably violate your value orientation. And you go, nope, I'm not going to spend any more money with you. Or it would take somebody to be even better than they are to come along to to get their their meat hooks, you know, out out from uh, from from where you are. I think it's just one of those things where the relationship is completely solidified when you fall madly in love with a brand, regardless of what the brand is. It it reminded me of uh, a quote, and I actually looked this up because I want to make sure that I got it right because I remember Bonnie Raitt talking about this and. and I don't know if this is, do you do any quotes in your book or not? But she said, I think my fans will follow me into our combined old age because real musicians and nice. real fans stay together for a long, long time. And I go, that that's exactly what any brand can hope, you know, is just that you, you, you follow them forever, regardless of whatever the product, whatever the direction they go in for multiple decades. Um, and, and you'll probably stay with, uh, with Haggerty insurance forever. There's, there's nowhere else that you would want to yeah. go. Yep. No, and no. And I, I would stay with them even if a lower cost competitor came in, yep. you yep. know, it's not about my, it's not about money. It's, yep. it's about the fact that, that I'm a fan of theirs. I trust yep. them. They're, they're, they're a good company that has my best interests, interests at heart. Um, and that's something that every single one of us can tap into, no matter what our business is, no matter what kind of organization we work for, or if we're on our own, no matter what it is that we do for a living. Um, and I think that that's really cool. And it's especially cool in the environment we're in right now, because I think that we're in a situation now where there's so much superficial online communication. People are doubling down on 
on on this on the on the online channel you yet another email message that is unwanted you know they connect with you on on linkedin or twitter and then instantly try to sell you something um the social networks are now optimized for polarization they're optimized that you don't get noticed unless you pay the social networks um and 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 you don't even know if if the organization you're communicating with online is using an AI robot right. to communicate back to you. Um, and, and so I think we're all hungry. Every one of us is hungry in that environment for true human connection. The pendulum has swung too far yep. into superficial online communications, yep. and people are hungry for a true human connection. And I think that true human connection is something that fandom can deliver. So we, we love the things that make us happy, whether it's, I've been to 75 Grateful Dead concerts. Every time I go to a Grateful Dead concert, they're, they're now touring as Dead and Company with John Mayer playing the Jerry Garcia role. So last time I saw them was just three weeks ago. And I, and I absolutely love it. And it's a tribe. It's people who are just like me. It's We speak the same language. We wear the same clothing. And... Um, my daughter, Harry Potter, same thing. Yep. And that's that's what we love. That's what is so much better than interacting in the cold, cruel, digital chaos out there. For sure. And yeah. any organ, any organization or person can tap into that, which is, I think, just crazy awesome. Well, I I got to say, to to bring this full circle back to what we talked about, you know, uh, we're we're at a moment in time where we can course correct again. Right. And, and yes. course correct to these personal relationships that are going to move the needle and, and make a difference and, and sort of kick back against uh, the, the digital revolution that's sort of taken it away from us for so long that we get back to to that human connection that really makes the difference and creates those fans. And in that light, how how can people stay in touch with you, David? Uh, what's the best way for them? Can they pre-order the book right now? Where, where what is the best way for them to actually get their hands on the book? Yeah, the the book publishes January seventh, twenty twenty, and it'll come out simultaneously in print ebook format. And Reiko and I read the audio book, and the oh. audio book will will also also publish simultaneously. That was really fun to read read it with her in the studio. Um, and uh, we have a website at fanocracy.com, www.fanocracy.com, where we've got. Um, some stories, some things you can download. There's a free excerpt, first chapter, and table of contents are up there. Uh, so all sorts of cool stuff if you want to learn more about the idea of phenocracy. On the social networks, I'm DM Scott, D-M-S-C-O-T-T, so great way to connect that way. Um, and um, I really appreciate you um, having this conversation with me. It's been great fun. Yeah, we'll we'll make sure that we put all this, by the way, David, in the uh, in the show notes. Um, I, I know we've sent a lot of people also to your uh, Fresh Spot, you know, website where they can get a hold of you and get get uh, yeah, any information yeah, on hiring too, yeah. you. Yeah, in case somebody wants you to yeah, come and speak yeah. for them, I think would be really really cool. And you know, we're thankful that Haggerty Insurance uh, sponsors today's show. <laughs> apparently, <laughs> I love it, <laughs> but love it. But really looking forward to uh, to taking a, a gander at the book. And man, you're really, really interesting. And uh, game on with your spreadsheet, 791 shows and still counting. That's uh, boy, that is something yeah. to, to be excited about. Yeah. I, I, uh, when you when we communicated on, communicated on email a couple of weeks ago, it was 790. But I caught Keller Williams on Saturday night. Wow. Interesting dudes. That was that was seven nine one. <laughs> nice, <laughs> all amazing. good, amazing. Well, we can't thank you enough for spending some time with us uh, uh, today, David. Thank you so much for that. Best of luck with Finocracy. Oh, and, my pleasure. Uh, my we'll pleasure. To thank you so much. You bet. We'll talk to you soon. Rock on. Hey, rock stars. Thanks so much for tuning in. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe to make sure you don't ever miss an episode. And if you're interested in having Brant or me or both of us speak at your event. We're exclusively represented by Kepler Speakers, the industry's leading resource for booking conference keynotes. To start your unforgettable experience, go to KeplerSpeakers.com. Until next time, rock, rock on. on.